The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Batelin. And joining us today and all week is a most very special guest. It is my sister, Maddie Deutsch. Hello. I'm, I'm here all week. Exciting. No nepotism. <laughs> it was involved in the booking of this guest. Not at all. <laughs> just, I just always wanted to say I'm here all week. You know, I feel like I'm in Capitals or something. <laughs> And Maddie's joining us, starting out here in minute 82. We start out with Brain's car won't start for some reason. And the minute ends with Snake and his crew running out of the World Trade Center. And right at the very beginning of this minute, as they're trying to, they're they're getting in the cab, they're trying to start it, and the president screams out, come on, come on, we're wasting time. And I got to say, Molly, I'm pretty sure this is the first time that the president has spoken with any kind of emotion whatsoever in this movie. Yeah, which makes it even better because this is like the most useless discussion, commentary, vocalization. Like it's completely not helpful. Like, <laughs> you know, but that's really him as a character is, is just really useless and unhelpful. So I suppose this is just indicative of him as a person and his management style of, of the time that, you know, it's like these people are, well, one of them's actually wounded you know, like right. they're actually trying to save him and he's just being kind of a jackass. But, you know, it seems like there's a theme with that this whole week where, you know, when he could be useful, he's just really not. So thanks, President, for saying something. <laughs> and he says something even better that really cracks me up when the car won't start. He's like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> he just completely loses it. <laughs> I wonder if that was some, like, ADR that they added in after or something, you know, because it does seem sort of, like, out of nowhere. Yes, absolutely could have been. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to make Maddie wait anymore here. So the reason he says what is because the car won't start, and there's a reason the car won't start, and the reason Maddie is on this week is when I asked her when she would like to guest on our show... She specifically requested this specific scene, and so I'm, I'm just, Maddie, I'm just going to let you say exactly what happens here, why the car won't start, and why you wanted this scene. Well, there's so much richness in this scene that, uh, you know, going back to our childhood, I've always been obsessed with this scene. There's just so many angles. The car won't start because, so Brain arrived at the World Trade Center in his car, and they set that up in a couple of minutes ago, and, right. you know... They make it really clear, like, that's Brain's car. And so, clearly, the car had an engine in it, like, some minutes ago. And, uh, and so, the, the, the goals of, of, you know, the Duke and his team are to, you know, capture them and, you know, prevent them from escaping. And so, so what happens is they try to start the car, the car doesn't start, so they go out and they open the hood, and a guy comes out with a crossbow, and he just very calmly says, car trouble. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know so so there's there's a lot to unpack in this scene so first of all first of all like w- why did they need to have the car be part of it at all they could have just been hiding in the shadows like they were anyway and have them come out to this little like courtyard looking enclosed area and get them that way 
Or once they got in the car and the doors were closed, why didn't they just close in on them then? They had them like a captive in a car. Why did they wait for them to like get out and then check under the hood? And then it begs the question, and feel free to cut me off if we need to have more discussion, but it also begs the question that if you would like to disable a car, you can like cut a wire. You do not have to remove a 800 pound <laughs> engine from the car, which takes hours and requires a crane. <laughs> and I don't see a crane, nor do I see hours of time, nor do I see like the remains or detritus of the engine anywhere. And then the guy with the crossbow, you know, has this like classic, like 80s, like action movie thing where like they throw in the little like kind of snarky like kind of pun like remark like at the end of um of commando right when he, he says let off some steam bennett when he like throws him up against the pipe like this is like this critical life threatening fight that they're in and they get an opportunity to throw in like a little snarky kind of thing so like i feel like there's just so much to this that resonated with me and uh and that's what happens in like the first 18 seconds of this scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you're right. There are so many different things to discuss here in just this like 15 second sequence. The, the first one I want to hit on is, yeah, why they do this. I mean, as you already outlined, there's a million different ways they could have done this. Unless the Duke's just got a real wacky sense of the dramatic is just what is the motivation for making this the way you want to let them know that you're, you're there? I mean, I don't know. It, it could have been like, you know, there might be like a fourth wall breaking down component and it's like a wink, wink, you know, I mean, clearly I love this scene. It is what my favorite scene in the movie. And so, you know, it sells, sells tickets and uh, makes the movie cool. But yeah, maybe he's just like a, psychopath maybe i mean they clearly have the ability to turn cars that were junkers into running cars off of gasoline they're getting out of the manhattan underground so maybe they do have an engine crane lying around and they can take an engine out of a car in three minutes <laughs> well so yeah so for the timing uh we've discussed uh with the last couple of guests we, we've been kind of trying to keep track of the timing of the movie and we figured out that Car's probably actually been in the lobby for a couple of hours because Snake had to walk up 50 flights, then take the elevator to the roof, get everybody, take the elevator back down to the 50th floor, and then they all had to walk down the 50 flights. So the, the car has been there for probably a couple of hours at this point. Until I started this podcast, I always wondered how did they have enough time to do this. So there, there, there is that amount of time. You're you're the expert, not me. On on, on, on I don't know if Molly's got car engine removal experience or not i do um, not <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if two hours is enough time to remove the engine block with or without a crane so the the time is there but even if it is how long was that poor guy sitting in the hood like the duke's like all right you you're you're what you're gonna do is after remove the engine you're gonna go sit in the engine because i bet you when they can't start it up i bet you they're gonna lift up the hood that's right. what they'll do so let's make right. sure in there with the crossbow and uh, and and you 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 come up uh, in this really cool move. Possible because they definitely you know earlier they wanted to get you know when they decided it was time for Snake to die they put him in the ring with that guy rather than just kill him you know and and that's kind of always how it works right there's always got to be some kind of grand finishing them off kind of thing kind of like when when there's a fight scene and there's like one person against like ten people. 
the 10 people don't attack the person at the same time. It's like they take right. turns one at a time. It's like, ah, you know, if all 10 of them just attack them right away, it would be like they could dive right in. Like when Indiana Jones just pulls out his gun and shoots that samurai guy, you know, so and make it a lot easier. So maybe the Duke is really into this kind of like the the process and the the you know the kind of the um, ritual of it all. You know, maybe they did want to see this whole. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Duke thought that the line car trouble was funny too. And there's not a lot that he has <laughs> entertainment in his life in in Manhattan prisons. You know. Yeah, Molly, like- go ahead, Molly. Oh no, I just I like that thought that he's really process oriented. That's really kind of delightful to me to think about that in that way. Um, I guess I have the other question, and maybe you both have a, a better sense of it, but. It seems that, and I know I'm jumping ahead slightly here, but there is a engine type apparatus that you can actually see pretty much from get go from this minute that's off in the corner and is running and you can hear it. Mm-hmm. So the other part of this for me is a tip off of there's an engine that wasn't there before that's pretty loud within earshot. And I understand there's adrenaline and we're nervous and we want to get on the road, but that might also be a tip off that there's a problem here too, even before the strange man with the bow is hanging out in the hood of the car before we even find him. Yeah. I, that, this once again is one of these things that until I really delved into this minute for this show, I never really knew exactly what they were shooting at. I didn't even realize that that's the steam engine that they removed from the trunk, uh, from the trunk, from, from the engine block. That, so that's, that's a great, Yes. So you think that was the engine from the car? Yeah, I think so, because they said way back in the beginning of the movie, they told Snake that they found a way to convert some of the cars to run on steam. And so that's got to be what that is. I mean, why they have it running, I have no idea. But so I, yeah. I think that's what that is. That's interesting. I had not thought of that. I was That was one of the things I wanted to talk about was what's the deal with this random like steam engine sitting in front of the Duke? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like he's just like he's like straddling it. I can't really make out like what's going on with it. I was like, it looks like it's like some kind of like like some kind of powered hovercraft or wheelchair that he has with this yeah. with this thing on it. I I I don't know what the deal is with that, but um, uh, that's possible. Some of the cars, like Cabby's car, runs on gas because he asks um, Brain for some gas, right? And and. Uh, I mean, at least like going by the sound of it, all of the Duke's cars run on gas. Um, so, but yeah, that that could be it. They could have pulled the steam engine out, and the engine looks kind of big, like tall, to fit in that little Yugo-looking car that Brain <laughs> has. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting proposition. Which actually might give us the answer that we've been looking for—that maybe that's how they were able to get it out without a crane and so fast, if that is the engine that was pulled out, so it's not a typical car engine, maybe it's much easier to remove. Mm, Yeah. I don't know. I have to tell you that I've spent so many years loving this scene whenever I think of this movie. I kind of want to leave, like I don't want to unpack the mystery. I kind of like Mm. the kind of absurd (laughs) like mystery of it all. And I, I, I feel like, you know, this is kind of like a, I don't want to know that it turns out that that was the steam engine and that there was there's some kind of backstory of how they they did it, some revisionist backstory. And uh, uh, I don't know. It might be better for me to just live in in ignorance for the rest of time. This is this is the danger of the movies by minute podcast. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's funny that you should actually mention, Maddie, that the car, uh, what the make of the car is, because it is not a Yugo. What it actually is is a 1971 Toyota Corolla. And huh. Corollas are a very big deal in the Deutsch household because growing up, our parents Pretty had a we lot had. of Toyota Corollas. Really? Yes. That's a very reliable car. Yes. <laughs> so did you both Even. learn on a Corolla, I take uh, it? Uh, I did not. I learned uh, my first car was a 1987 Dodge Colt. Um, Ooh. Yeah, my baby, my first baby. Uh, but <laughs> and I, I actually learned, I learned on a Toyota Corona. But we did have a Corolla, too. I actually learned on both because I, mom had that Corolla with manual shift, and that's right. why I learned stick. And, yeah, yeah. well, we we have a very reliable dad, so <laughs> we wind up with a lot of reliable cars. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and this specific, the model of the car, the 71 Corolla, um, it's been used in about 50 movies or so over the years. Uh, this this movie is its most prominent use of this model. It's usually kind of put in the backgrounds, including a personal favorite of mine, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Oh. Mm. Was it the same car, do you think? No, it, it, like, it, it, this is from um, the Internet Movie Car Database website, where the, oh. you can find out the make wow. and model, which is a website right up your alley, by the way. Talk uh, about niche. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's yeah. like this model of car is used. It's not that, that it's like the specific car or not. Wow. Interesting. So that means that there are at least, there are more than one, at least there were more than one early 70s Toyota Corollas floating around in the like backlot prop world of Hollywood. Right. At one point. Right. So it's kind of like, get me an early 70s Corolla. And the answer is, which one? (laughs) That's, That's kind of interesting, you know? And so then Brain, once again, I mean, just, you know, the dude's got a million lives. He comes out from the car. He's like, oh, hi, Duke. You know, he's got his goofy little smile. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. Already trying to think of how, how, how am I going to talk my way out of this one? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's Harry Dean Stanton's classic, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so this, this scene is a, a bit different in the scripts. Um, it. it the draft script, and it changed to the shooting script, and then it changed again by the time they filmed it. So in the draft script, they get down to the car, and the hood is already lifted up. And so Maggie's yeah. like, oh, somebody's been here. Brain looks in, looks, looks in the engine. He says the distributor cap's gone, and everyone mm. gets all tense. So we don't have any of this engine removal guy under the hood. Uh, the camera pulls back. We go to the Duke. The Duke says car trouble. And then... Oh, the Duke uh, says... Yeah. Oh, and, and by the way, in watching the, um, uh, this is shattering both you and me, Maddie, because we both always thought it was the guy with the crossbow. The the, the close caption and say it's the Duke that says car trouble. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Which is probably another... just they didn't want to pay the actor for speaking a line, to be honest with you. Right. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, in so in so back to the draft script. The Duke says, "I saw your glider in the street. All these airplanes falling around here. It's not safe to walk anymore." He pulls out a knife. Says, "How's it going, Brain?" Brain says, "Well, he had another gun, Duke." Duke says, "Well, you had it first. So Pliskin then whispers to the Brain, "Gas." And Brain says, "What?" And Pliskin says, "Steam or gas." So Brain says, "Gas." And so. Uh, as this is going on, Duke says, this whole deal of yours is over now, Snake. You and Brain just say goodbye to each other. As he picks up the gun, Snake then shoots and 
remember in this draft it is a gas engine it is not a steam engine so he shoots and the car explodes hmm. and then they run away so then we get to well, the shooting sc- oh yeah go ahead oh well you know this whole like shooting at a car and it explodes kind of thing that that also that's not really that doesn't really happen the gas tanks don't explode because yeah. there's not enough oxygen in there and a bunch of other physics stuff that I forget. But um, <laughs> but that is that is very interesting that they originally had them come downstairs and the hoods open. And I guess like taking a distributor cap is that's that's the way to disable a car for take out a like a something that weighs four ounces and takes like two seconds to remove. But um, it's not nearly as cool as the way that they finally did it. So I'm <laughs> <Right>. glad. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, you, know, I, you know, I guess, you know, John Carpenter is trying to bang through the script and get something down on paper, you know, because yeah. then to get to the shooting script, they look over and by now they have gotten in the car and it doesn't start and they open up the hood and it says car trouble. So he did between the draft script and the shooting script, he makes this change. Uh, but in the, sh- so then we get to the shooting script and the, there's a, a director says the Duke reaches down and pats the engine. He actually pats the engine and Duke says, you can't trust these steam engines. They always let you down. Isn't that right? Brain brain says, this ain't my idea, Duke. And Duke says, I know brain. I understand. Then the, the, we continue with the same exact, uh, dialogue that we had in the draft script. Uh, but this time instead of snake blowing up the car he shoots the steam as we end up getting it in the movie so then they, they filmed the movie and they just they took out this little bit about duke saying can't trust the steam engines which i mean whatever you don't really need that in the movie anyway probably save 10 15 seconds by doing it uh but it it, it does show you that in the beginning we would have been robbed of this awesome bit that has always been one of maddie's favorite moments in cinema history <laughs> well and thank the lord or whatever you believe in that they did those sunset rewrites because that that dialogue you read is pretty whack. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I will say I enjoy the graffiti that we have here, and I feel like this is the most. And granted, there's a lot of other words that are around, but I like that there's a giant vengeance street graffiti thing right behind the Duke, and I like that there is a help behind Brain. Uh, yes, I see the help. Oh, Vengeance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see it. Yeah, like second uh, 42, 43, yeah. Yeah, right around 26, you see Enemy that's off to the left. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah, it's definitely a great spread. So I have uh, obviously, over the course of the show, talked a lot about my memories of watching the movie at definitely too young of an age on HBO. And (laughs) I, I, I... a good contrast here since you're three years older sorry for outing you about that there uh sorry mm-hmm. not sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am the younger sibling <laughs> but i you know i wonder how your memories are different since you might remember better because you were a little bit older like of, of you know of the first time you saw it or just like watching it when we were you know growing up i mean i you know i mean an incredible amount of of time was spent in our childhood sitting on the floor in the living room watching uh, various movies because we had to sit close to the cable box because you had to switch the channels by hand with the little mechanical button, you know, that we didn't have a remote control or anything like that. I don't, you know, I don't know. I remember, like, I remember the fact that we watched this movie repeatedly, including sometimes with dad who gave his own kind of interesting running commentary on various things. I don't know. Do you remember watching this movie with dad? 
Honestly, I don't. And so there's there's a big difference right yeah. there. Yeah, my memories uh, are yeah. just watching it just with you. I don't remember him being watching it with us. In fact, I think that he was really into this car trouble scene too. And you know, you know, Dad does that uh, that kind of laugh that like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think there was like a lot of that when he uh, when he watched this movie uh, as well. But we definitely watched it many times, and we we definitely watched it with Dad, and we definitely watched it. Like I was less than thirteen because we watched this at nine fifty three before we before we moved right. to Crown Court. Absolutely. And, and so, you you were as at the oldest you were ten. And we, and, I, and we watched it before that. I've 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 said before that I was probably like eight or nine at the oldest yeah. the first time I would have watched it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it was you know nineteen ninety seven was like you know fifteen years in the future, so it was like oh, oh yes. my god, nineteen ninety seven. We're going to be all hovering around and, you know, who knows what we're going to be doing then. Hey, so I was looking at this and I'm about second 26 in, but is this looks like red bandana gypsy on the right hand side. And I didn't notice that before. I just happened to be like paused there. Let's see. Is he still around? Oh, with like the kind of like the wrap on his left shoulder or a blanket or something hanging. Yep. It's he's small in the frame, but he's got the mustache for it. That could be him. Although he's not, does he have the bandana on? It's it's so dark in this scene, and he's so yeah. small. It's possibly <laughs> it. Our favorite member of the Duke's gang. Is that his official name, or is that a name that you guys gave him? In the credits, he is Red Bandana Gypsy. Hmm. And he did wow. not have, uh, as as when we first discussed him a few weeks ago, uh, you will appreciate this. He, he doesn't have an extensive career, but the thing that you might know him most from was at the end of the Hot for Teacher video, he is the sumo wrestler that wrestles uh, Mark Anthony when they're revealing huh. what becomes of everybody in their, later on in their lives. That is deep. That is deep. That is deeper than, although I can't believe, I, I think that uh, the reference that I sent you last night of the guy who's uh, Hulk's uh, right-hand man having played a guest star as, as the racist Major Weems that uh, Hawkeye BJ and uh, and colonel potter in trap and get him to leave the army uh on mash Tom that you didn't yeah yeah that you didn't get that I, I, it's probably the first time i've ever gotten a reference that you don't have a reference to <laughs> but that's that's a deep that's pretty deep so when he shoots the he meaning snake so snake ends up really being cornered here and he ends up shooting the steam engine block and it kind of like blows a little bit and i always was a little curious why he didn't just shoot the duke in this moment i think that so if he shoots the duke someone else is going to blow him away if he shoots the steam it distracts everybody Mm. Uh, you know um the duke's not the only one that recoils from the steam you know everybody that's standing next to him also recoils and then the people that might be out of the you know the the cone of effect of, of the steam might just be like, oh, whoa, what the hell is that? You know, and then like in those two, three seconds, they're distracted. They can turn around and run out. Whereas if he just shoots just the Duke, he's still got, you know, 10, 20, however many guys to deal with. Well, that also kind of brings me to the guys behind him, because, you know, I understand like flaming gas or steam or what have you is, you know, you want to <laughs> you want to wait till that disperses and not run through it. But I feel like there's enough room that the guys in back can do something. I just feel like they're also a little bit slow on the uptake. They're not like the folks that live underground who are pretty fast. And that zombie fast 
sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that genre of zombie. But yeah, I always thought these guys were a little slow to to react to this situation. Yeah, I, you know what? I mean, they might uh, they might not be used to thinking for themselves. They might all have gotten used mm. to like waiting for the Duke to tell them what to do. And if the Duke doesn't tell them what to do, they kind of just stand around waiting to find out, well, what do we do now? You know, I, I'm just a, you know, a guest. I'm not a... Uh, <clears throat> Um, movie, you know, minute guru like you folks are. So this this might be a pedestrian observation, but um, I kind of feel like this movie is it's, it's so theatrical in the way that it, it in in its in its vibe. Um, it's not like anywhere near a cinema verite in some ways. In some ways it is, but in, in a lot of ways it's like it's very theatrical. And so I kind of feel like you know. There's like, you know, in this particular scene, like, you know, this is the, uh, you know, there's like the, the ensemble cast is behind the Duke and like something happens and the ensemble cast is like gasps and like looks and like kind of dramatically like takes in the the scenery and kind of decides how to act next. And and that that's the things like that are kind of in line with the like this is more of like a theatrical projection rather than a verite piece. It works for me. No, it's 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 definitely fair, and there's a fair amount of that in this whole movie. That there's uh, uh, they they take reality rather liberally. There there are times you just have to run on the suspension of disbelief and be like, okay, fine, cool, I'll roll with that. Yeah, I mean we've we've talked multiple times how Snake flies in the gul- uh, the Gulf Fire in a one C plane, and this plan all along is to fly out with the president, and it's like the, the plane doesn't even have room for a second person. You just kind of have to ignore that when you're watching the movie. <laughs> right. Well, and we don't know if the plane actually has, it's like a jet glider. I don't know what that is. And then Brain said something about like, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to get to, to fly it off the World Trade Center than it was to land or something. And I'm like, right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know like what kind of runway lengths you need to get up to speed. Like, you know. <laughs> and it does, and it does bring up, you know, there's so many other like uh, suspension of disbeliefs, like later in the scene when you know Cabby just happens to pull up. Hold up, like, save it, save it, save it. All right, save it. That's tomorrow. We don't know what happens yet tomorrow. Oh, okay. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> this is, we don't we don't do an amalgamated three minutes in our discussion. No, we. It's a, right. Each minute is its own episode. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I think at the very last in- second of this is Cabby pulling up, though. No. No, the the minute ends with we we could just make out the four of them running outside of the building at night. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But you but you do hear that old timey music, <laughs> like kind of a swing style big band music at the end. So uh-huh. you you have a little bit of an inclining or an inclination towards who's going to show up here very uh-huh. momentarily. I like the kind of brutalist architecture of the courtyard that they run out into mm. that I don't think is actually, I mean, it's, it's not the world trade center and it, I don't think it actually looks like anything that's at the world trade center, but it is pleasantly brutalist. Le Corbusier would be very proud of this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that scene. one was, let's see. Uh, Cause that was way back in the beginning of the movie when he first came out. Oh, I'm looking through my old notes here of where they filmed that shot outside there. Has kind of a diehard. Was it Nakatomi? Yeah, has that, that kind of vibe. Feel. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's uh, it's Century Plaza Towers in Century City, which was once the old back lot of 20th Century Fox in Los Angeles. 
Yes. Yeah, that looks a lot like Century City would look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I believe Century City is where Nakatomi Towers was filmed. Hmm. Or where it was supposed to be. I think that's where it was. Um, Here, let me, me, I'm going to, I'm going to Google that. Uh, How do you, is it Nakatomi? N-A-K-A. Nakatomi Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fox Plaza is a 34-story skyscraper in Century City, Los Angeles, California. Huh? Yeah. There you go. Well, cool. Uh, we got that worked out. <laughs> in real time. Well, Maddie is going to be with us all week, and thank you for joining us for Minute 82. Uh, you can follow us here on Twitter at NYMinutePod, also the Facebook group Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And I just want to give a little gratitude shout-out to our pod fathers, Pete and Alex of Star Wars Minute, who helped pioneer the Movies by Minutes format of which this podcast is based. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall.